Amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Kenny. If we haven't met yet, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I hope to meet you by the end of today. Uh, thank you for being here. We're going to start out in the book of John, chapter number 10, and I'm going to have Kashima uh, read the text. So, Kashima, if you want to come on up and carefully walk up here towards the mic. I realize we don't have a mic down here today. Um, she's going to read in just a moment. Uh, I want to let you guys know that I have never ran a marathon, um, but I have driven around several marathons since being part of a church that meets downtown. Um, but I do want to congratulate two people in our midst who ran a half marathon today, and that's David Yanez and his dad visiting from out of town. <laughs> ran the half marathon and then came straight here. Now, come on. You guys are complaining around driving around. All right, they ran around, all right? Actually, they might have got here quicker than we did. Uh, <laughs> probably should have just ran. Um, if you don't have a Bible today, we've got a stack of them here. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. So please take one uh, by the end of today. And we're going to read from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. And Kashima, please take it away. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I, am the Father, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? You are not stoning, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, it is not written in your law. I have said you are gods. Wait, I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the father set apart as, as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to place where John had been baptizing in the earlier days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. Can we give Kashima a hand for reading that? <laughs> Careful. Thank you so much. Um, and it, the title of today's message would be, If You Are the Messiah. If You Are the Messiah. And we're picking up at the end of John chapter 10. We've been going through the gospel according to John. Last week we talked about Jesus' statement that he said, I am the good shepherd. Um, and he talked about the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they might have life, the sheep, and he's talking about us, and he says, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I'll take it up again. 
Um, but the scene we just read, if you would just like imagine that for a moment, that you're there in the temple in this setting with Jesus, and they actually want to kill him. They picked up rocks to bash Jesus to death, right? So we know kind of the story of Jesus, um, and you know that he didn't die right then, but just think for a second. Like, have you ever been in a situation where you could have died? Yeah, right? And you look back and you're like, whoa, right? That, thank God I didn't die, but that, that was a really big moment. Why are they doing that? Why are they so angry? Well, they didn't like some of the stuff he said. Um, one thing, claiming to be God, claiming to say, I and the Father, the Father God, are one. We're the same. And that was, they considered that blasphemy because he can't be God. He's a man. He can't equate himself with God. This isn't right. And so part of it's just the reaction of like, this is the penalty in that culture in that time was death. But there's a little bit more going on there that needs explaining. Um, and I want us to look into that text together. So if you do have a, a Bible or a Bible app or something, just keep it open because we're going to be um, going along in this text. But before we get to the rest of that, I want to ask this. Have you ever experienced a time in your life where you thought you expected God to work in a certain way and it did not go that way? Yeah. Have you ever expected um, God to do something in your life in a certain way and it actually went the opposite of that? <laughs> or it went horribly wrong, even? Anyone? This was not what I was expecting. And it could be something like a tragedy that hits your life. It could be something, a relationship that you had so much hope in that is gone. It can be a, a dream that you had, but now it seems like it's failed. You don't know how you're going to pick that up. And here's the thing, whether or not that's happened to you, it will. <laughs> it will. If you're here today and you can't identify with what I'm talking about, um, it will happen to you some, at some point in your life. And so the passage that we're looking at today and what I want to focus on is what do you do when Jesus lets you down? What do you do when you expected something from God you expected him to do something in your life, and he lets you down. Now, we're going to get real here for a minute. Is that okay? I don't want to stand up here and, and give some kind of fake message to you that when you follow Jesus, he's never going to let you down. I don't want to give you some kind of message that when you go with God, it's all going to be amazing and perfect. And we know that if we've lived long enough. But what do you do when he lets you down? Because your response in those moments when you expected something but you get something else from God. When you expected him to do something in your life, but he does the opposite or something different, your response there actually can determine how much of his life, his joy, his peace that he's offering, how much of that you'll actually experience. What you do when you feel like Jesus has let you down, how you respond will determine whether you're going to be headed away from God, away from the life that he is offering you, the abundant life, or whether you're heading toward him, toward his joy, toward understanding in the things where you can't even answer the questions. And here's why, because, and, and, and this is where we're going to end up today, so I'll just dump it all out from the beginning. But what I want us to see and what I believe Jesus shows us in this passage is that what he wants for you 
is so much better than what you want from him. What he wants for you that you, don't, you may not even know about it yet or what it looks like, you may not know what it entails, but the things that he wants for you in your life are so much better than what you're asking him for in those times where he doesn't do what you expect. Amen? Amen. So now that we dropped that bomb, all right. Um, whew, all right, everyone. Everyone all right? We can relax? We're good? You guys with me? All right. Let's look back at that passage. The Jews uh, in this situation were coming to Jesus, um, and, and these are Jews that are in the temple, you know, presumably Pharisees, ruling Jews, people who knew about the law. They were coming to him with expectations of their own. The very first thing we see in the passage is that the time, the setting, the setting is very important. The setting is the Feast of Dedication. This is in Jerusalem. They're at the temple, the center of Israel's culture and worship. And they come to Jesus and they encircle him and they say, are you the Messiah or not? Don't hold us in suspense. Will you just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, I've already done actions that speak way louder than words, but you're not believing my actions or the words. I've already told you, but you don't believe me. So what is this feast? Feast of dedication. Um, it was not, does anyone know that in the Old Testament, God set up feasts for the people of God to remember uh, his deliverance for them. You guys familiar with that? There were seven of those. This is not one of those feasts. This is not from the Old Testament. This is from in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it actually centers around the last great deliverance about 200 years before Jesus, the last great deliverance that the Jewish people had had. And so they had a feast to commemorate it. And just a little bit of context about that. There was a Syrian king who had an empire, and his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes is a pretty cool name, right? Antiochus Epiphanes. He comes, takes over Israel. He believes and worships the Greek god Zeus. Actually, his name Epiphanes means manifest and indicates that his name meant that he was the manifestation of the Greek god Zeus. So what he does when he comes and takes over Israel and takes over Jerusalem, he takes over the temple and he stops the sacrifices to Israel's God. And in order to show that, hey, you're under my thumb right now, he sets up an altar to Zeus in the temple. So this is 200 years before what we're reading today, but it's in the same temple that Jesus is walking. He sets up an altar to Zeus and brings out a pig, the dirtiest animal to their culture of that time, the worst thing that they can imagine, sacrifices a pig in the middle of the altar to Zeus in the temple of God. If you grew up in the church, you've, you're a Bible buff and you ever heard that phrase, the abomination that brings desolation shows up in the book of Daniel. It's referring to this event. Happened on December 25th, 165 BC. And how do you think the Jews in Israel felt about that? Upset? right? They were so angry. They had had it. They were tired of being under this king. They decided to revolt. And so they, they militarily revolt and come against this king, Epiphanes, and a man in the family of Maccabees, actually, they win, and they take over, and they take back over the temple and the city, and they get rid of his rule, and they purify the temple, and they start worshiping God again in their own temple, in the same temple that our passage today takes place. And that was the last great deliverance 
that the Jews around Jesus' culture and day had experienced. And so they started commemorating this, and they called it the Feast of Dedication, and we know it today as Hanukkah. That's what Hanukkah is all about. They're celebrating the fact that they took back over their temple, and they purified it, and they could worship God again. And they were no longer under the thumb and military rule of another power. They could be their own nation. So now in this feast, in this city, in this temple, 200 years later, now under Roman rule, they come to Jesus and say, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who's going to save us? Don't keep us in suspense. Just tell us. I don't want to presume too much, but we know that they were expecting somebody, another thing like that. Somebody like David to come in and, hey, man, we got to shake this up. We don't want to be under Rome anymore. We want to worship God the way we want to worship God. We want to live before him. We want to be our own nation. We want to be out from under the thumb of Rome. Are you the Messiah? Don't beat around the bush, Jesus. Tell us, right? I believe they were sincere. As I read this passage, as I look at the text and everything that's surrounding, I believe they were sincere, but I also believe they were sincerely wrong. Because they brought their expectations to Jesus and said, are you the Messiah? This is how we want to be saved. And Jesus did not deliver on their expectations. You guys see that? He, he said, I am the Messiah, and I've already told you. If you look at the chapter, 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 I'm the light of the world. He that follows me will never walk in darkness. I'm the bread of life. He that eats me will never be hungry. He's doing miracles. He's opening blind eyes, people that have never seen before. No one's ever seen a miracle like this. And he's comparing it to spiritual blindness. And now he's the light of the world. He's saying, I've told you over and over, but you're not getting it. They came with their expectations when Jesus didn't deliver on what they expected. They actually missed out on experiencing him. Do you guys see that? They're face to face with the God of the universe in the flesh and they missed out. Even in the same passage, we have other people who are over by the river who say, you know what? John, John the Baptist never did a miracle, but everything he said about Jesus has come true, and we believe him. They're part of his flock. And they got to experience everything he's promising as being the good shepherd. But this group right here is face to face with him and even saying, are you the Messiah? But because it's not according to their expectations. They're missing on him. Instead of a military victory that would have lasted, I don't know, a year, five years, 50 years, 150 years, Jesus is offering them victory over sin and death. Instead of freeing them from the ones who are ruling over them politically, he's offering them freedom in their souls from their own sin and from the enemy. And yet, they missed it. Our expectations of Jesus can block our experience of Jesus. Our expect, what we bring to him, expecting him to do, if we are not willing to let go of that for what he's actually doing in our lives right now, we can miss it completely. We can miss experiencing the life that he's bringing to us. The book of John, chapter number one, same book says it this way in verse 10 through 12. He says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, talking about Jesus, the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But listen to the hope here. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. And this is a hard message because I know we like to say, oh, yeah, we're all God's children. Right? The word of God is saying, hey, there's a way in which we're not. (laughs) There's a way in which you can be part of his flock or you can be not part of his flock. Right? And the difference is, are we receiving him for who he is? To be called a son and a daughter of God. So how do we do that? If our expectations can block our experience of Jesus, what are, the, what are some ways that we do that? Think of that time. You expected God to work in your life in a certain way, and it didn't work out. You can't, a time when you, you couldn't track what he was doing, and you found it hard to even trust that he was good. Or trust that he was there. I said earlier, I'm going to get real. And so I'm sorry if it's too real. <laughs> sorry if it's too, I'm sorry if it's too real. And I'm sorry if it's too painful. But for me, oh my God, if I don't give you the hope that Jesus is offering in this message, what hope do we have? <laughs> what hope do we have outside of Jesus? How many know that life gets real? Don't we need a real hope? Don't we need a real Savior? When you're really feeling discouraged and and let down and where you can't go on, don't you need hope to go on? Is there hope in Jesus? There is. There is, and that's, that's, that's what I want to talk about. But you know, maybe it was a tragedy that came in your life. Maybe it was something that happened to someone that you lost. And, and it made you think, God, if God was good, why would he let this happen? How could a good God allow this? Or maybe it's a struggle that you're going through, whether it's, it's a sin that you can't escape from, that you keep going back to. Maybe you want to be free. Maybe, maybe you struggle with porn, and you want to be free from that, and you, you can't help, you can't stand the shame that it brings in your life, but yet you still go back to it. And you wake up with such a heavy shame and you wonder, if God really wanted me to be free from this, why won't he just let me be free? Why won't he set me free? Maybe you had a dream that God called you to and it it took a lot of risk, but you said, you know what? I believe he's calling me to this and I'm going to step out in faith. And now you're in it and it feels like, God, why would you call me to a dead end road? Why won't you provide for what you called me to? I remember a few years ago, I came to a point uh, in my life and uh, just in, in ministry in general, I experienced this call to ministry about nine years ago and had followed God into it. And, and I was working with um, a church plant and, and I was, I knew I was called, I knew I was where God wanted me to, but it started to wear on me that I didn't have um, time and energy to do it, and, and I didn't see much fruit around, and I felt alone, and I felt like it was, 
I was not appreciated and what I was doing for God wasn't appreciated. And I felt even far from God and like he forgot about me. And didn't feel like I could go on with it. Just so disappointed. God, why? And I had a talk with um, a friend of mine in ministry who was a few decades ahead of me. And he listened to my heart and he, he gospeled my heart. But at one point in our conversation, he just said, Kenny, Jesus is not going to be a means to an end. He loves you too much to let himself just be used for what you really want. If you're looking for success or if you're looking to be known or if you're looking for whatever it is and, and, and your end goal is not Jesus himself, you're going to be disappointed. But if he's your all, if he, if he deserves your affections, which he does, and your affections are in him, then you can go through any dis discouragement, any disappointment with hope instead of despair because you know that he's worth it. And you know that the future he has for you is so much better than the one you can make for yourself. Amen? Can we trust God when you can't track him? When you can't figure out why he let it happen? When you don't know why you can't seem to feel free, can you trust that he's still freeing you? When you don't know why he seemed to lead you down a dead-end road, can you trust that he's still leading you in his dream for your life? Is that good enough? They went to Jesus for answers, but he didn't give them the answers that they wanted. There's a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. Vince reminded me of this week, and I can't remember if I made a slide for it. Sorry if I didn't, but it's simple. It says, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. If any of what I'm talking about describes you today, here's why we can trust him. Because what he wants for you is so much better than what you want from him. A thousand times better, a million times better, a billion, infinitely, you cannot compare it better what he wants for you and the hope that he is offering you is better. Even in the questions that we can't answer that on this side of eternity we'll never be able to answer, we can still know that what he wants for us is better than what we want for ourselves and what we want from him. He never promised we wouldn't see tragedy or struggle or struggle with sin or see a dream die. In fact, in John 16, he said, in this world you will find trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. <clears throat> That's the end of that. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so I want to keep looking at this passage for the hope that gives us, that Jesus gives us in here. He goes back to the sheep metaphor. And I just want to look at a few things that he says um, when he answers them. And he says, you I told you, but you didn't believe me because you're not part of my flock. But then he says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Even here in this passage, Jesus is saying a few things that I think we can find great encouragement from. One, the sheep listen to my voice. The God of all the universe speaks to you. 
the God who has no beginning and no end, has said, my sheep listen to my voice, which means he's speaking and that we can hear him. Even if we're like a sheep and we don't know where we're supposed to go, or even if where he's telling us to go doesn't make sense, we can hear God. Isn't that an incredible hope? Compare that with not hearing God and trying to figure it out on our own. Okay. I think you guys get it. Next one. I know them. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. You are intimately known. Every pain, every disappointment, every hurt, discouragement, every question. He knows you and loves you beyond knowing, and he cares for every time you've been let down. I know them. I know how many hairs are or are not on their head. <laughs> I knew I'd get something out of that. Right? Not a sparrow falls without the Father knowing about it. And guess what? You're worth more than two sparrows. No, many sparrows. You're worth more than many sparrows. He named the stars, and yet he knows your name. My sheep, listen to my voice so we can hear God. He knows us. He knows everything we're going through. They follow me. We get to follow him, and he is personally leading us to a future that even though we may not be able to see it, we know that it's better, better, better. We have hope that it's so much better. Romans 8 says that we, that we and I might get to this later, but basically that we know that we share in his sufferings and we're also going to share in his glory. And the future glory that we're going to experience can't even be compared with the sufferings we experience now. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. That's where we're following him. Just like Jesus died, we die to ourselves. Jesus died on the cross. We die to our sin. We die to ourselves. But that's not the end. It's not a sad story. It's the happiest story ever. Otherwise, I'm going to quit preaching and walk out. And you all should too because you have no hope. But in Jesus, you have every hope that the cross isn't the end, that the tomb isn't the end, but that he rose on the third day. And it wasn't just so he could have a cool miracle that we could talk about. It's for you. That promise is for you. That the death that has separated you from loved ones and friends will not win. That the sin that has wreaked havoc in your soul and in your family members will not win as you follow him through death into life, eternal. That's the next point. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He died, but death didn't stop him. Not even death will stop you as you are in his flock. He's saying this in a culture that didn't even embrace the idea of resurrection. Maybe some kind of spiritual resurrection, but the Sadducees in that day said, no, there's no resurrection. Once you die, that's it, which sounds a lot like a lot of our culture today. Once you die, that's it. You're gone. Now, he promises a radical promise that, no, it doesn't have to be. I give them eternal life. Even though the real death rate is still one per person. <laughs> Jesus died too, but he rose again. The first fruits of eternal life. 
And then he ends it saying, no one can snatch them out of my hand. I and the Father, I and God the Father are one. We're together on this. You are reassured so much. If your faith and your hope is in Jesus Christ, if you've received him for who he is, you are so reassured. How tight is his grip on you? How much does he love his own sheep? He gave his life for his sheep. You think he'll let go of you after that? If he let go of his own life to have you, do you think he'll let go of you now? No matter what you go through? What he wants for you is so much better than what you want from him. Is that hitting anyone today? Hopefully your heart's encouraged when you hear that. Hopefully your eyes are lifted up and you see, oh my gosh, I can't see. It's still, this, what I'm going through is still bad. I may not understand it. I may feel let down, but there's a hope. There's a hope. I was talking to my wife, Hannah. I still like saying that in sermons. <laughs> Newlywed. Um, Finally, where I can, you know, say, oh, yeah, my wife said the other day. <laughs> Praise God. Um, but she was she's told me this story a few times about she was 16. It was her 16th birthday, and her, she didn't know this, but her mom had, like, planned this elaborate surprise party for her, invited all her friends, um, got this all ready, right? Well, it was a Sunday, and she was hanging out. She just wanted to hang out with her youth group. You know, she just like, that was, her youth group always went out after the service, and they went to McDonald's or El Cotija, one or the other. And she's like, I just want to go there for my birthday, just hang out, just keep it normal. She doesn't know about this party, right? Well, her friends are in on the party. They're in the car. She had, her mom was trying to call and get her home, right? You guys know how it is. You've done a surprise party. Right, or been around one. She's trying to call her. She's ignoring her mom's calls because she just wants to go to McDonald's with the youth group, right? Well, then her friend says, oh, your mom's calling. But her mom didn't have her number. She actually, like, called her mom. Says, oh, your mom's calling. Oh, here you go. And so Hannah gets on the phone, and her mom had made up this story, like, hey, your new puppy, he's lost. Can you come home? We're trying to look for him. And she hangs up, and they're like, what's your mom saying? She's like, oh, nothing. She said we could go to McDonald's. <laughs> So she's ignoring calls. She's defiant because she's got her, her heart set on something for her birthday, right? Well, and I don't know the story of how they finally overrode her, her, her decision and, and whoever the adult was driving drove actually to the house. But when she got there, she saw all her friends were there. Her whole family was there. Her favorite food had been catered. This had been planned for so long. It was just this awesome Sweet 16, you know, surprise party. She was so overwhelmed that she cried. There was so much joy there. And I was just thinking as I heard that story, like, how much is our relationship with God sometimes like that? In the grand scale and also even in the small things. How many times do we just want what we want? And we just expect either what's normal or what we expect to be what our life should look like. And we're He's trying to do something else, someone who loves us more than we know, someone who is in authority over us and has a better plan that he's planned for us and is inviting us to it. And we're like, no, I just want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> God, would you leave me alone? I want to go to McDonald's. 
And God is like, I've got something way better that you haven't even thought of that's waiting on you. It's waiting on you. And even in that, we have hope. I'm not telling you that everything's going to be rosy, but I am telling you that you have hope. You have hope right now for what you're going through. You have hope in the eternal sense for what you're going through. That death will not win. That the struggle with sin will not win. That everything will be made whole. Romans 8 says it this way, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Not even in the same picture. If it was a pie chart, this is negligent. It's got an asterisk next to it. Our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That's a little bit better than a sweet 16 surprise birthday party that Jesus has for us. That chapter goes on, and I'm not going to read everything that I have here, but the chapter goes on and says, who hopes for what they already have? You can answer that and say, no one, right? If you already have 100 bucks, you're not hoping for that 100 bucks, right? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He has overcome death, and one way, and one day death will be swallowed up. I want to remind you today, he is not weak. He has not forgotten about you. He is not against you. Will you trust him? in the hard things when you can't track him. If he lets you down, if his word challenges you in a way you didn't expect, will you trust him? That's the key. That was the whole point of the sermon. We timed that right. We timed that all right. God's like, that's it. Listen. Listen to what he just said. I want to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up. Just with that reminder that what God has for you is infinitely better than what you want from him. We can trust him in everything. We need to take every expectation that we have on God and that we have on our life, everything that's blocking us from experiencing what he's actually doing, Blocking us from experience that hope that he's actually given us and drop it at his feet and say, I'm not going to allow that to keep me from you any longer. I'm not going to be like the people who saw you face to face and denied you and missed out on you. I want you, Jesus. Your hope is better, Jesus. You know better. You love me more. Amen? How can we know that we can trust him? This is what I, these few thoughts is what I want to end with. How can we know, how can we know? How can we know that his plan is better? How can we know that we can trust him? Jesus, even though he knew what he was here for, he still had a time of struggling with God, struggling with God's will. 
He was praying in the garden, looking forward to the cross, knowing what was about to happen, and said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. If you're willing, don't make me do it. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Not only that, but Jesus felt forsaken by the Father. On the cross, he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said it in this chapter that we're reading from today earlier. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He was forsaken by God because our sin was put upon him. He was forsaken so that we would be brought in. He laid down his life for the sheep. In the Old Testament, we would lay down a sheep's life for the human. But Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And not only that, he takes it up again. He rose again so that we could have life. A few verses at the end, also from Romans 8, I just want to hit on. Verse 31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one can take them out of my hand. We may not know why things happen, but we know what it can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love you. It can't be that he doesn't have a plan for all of this suffering. He who didn't even spare his own son for you, how will he not give you everything? It can't be that the end is worse than the beginning. If that's the case, we'd, we're, we're canceling church worldwide forever. It can't be that the end that he has planned for you is not better than the beginning. It is. It's so much better. It's so much better that our present sufferings can't even be on the same chart. Amen? May we begin to see. May we, may we let God into those painful places and actually begin to grasp onto this truth that he's giving us, that what I have for you is so much better. It's so much better. Don't miss out. Don't block me. Cling to me. Whatever it is. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say a word of prayer. I've got a few communion questions to work through. Um, each week we participate in communion to remember that what Jesus has done for us, that though we were far, he's brought us near. Though we don't deserve that love and forgiveness and life eternal, he's given it to us.
because his blood was poured out for our sins and his body was broken and his righteousness was given to us. So invite you to come up um, right after we pray here and um, in, probably in groups of two or three um, so you can really join in with that. If you're not yet a believer, it, it, it really is a profession that my faith is in Jesus for salvation. So we wouldn't want you to take part of that, but come listen. Come listen to how God is working in people's lives. Um, I want to list off those questions and then uh, say a word of prayer. First one just being, is there an area of your life where God has not met your expectations and you're finding it hard to trust him? I told you I was going to get real, all right? <laughs> we have a lot of people doing communion by yourself. <laughs> I don't want to tell anybody, all right? Is there an area of life where it's hard to trust him? Two, how is the hope that Jesus offers better? And number three, how can you ask the Holy Spirit to help you trust God more? Let's pray, and then we'll uh, take part in communion. We'll, I think, wrap it up with uh, a song at the end, pretty sure, or a prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you love us too much to let your mission for our life be hijacked by our expectations. God, I thank you that you love us way too much to let yourself be the right answer to the wrong question that we may bring to you, God. God, I thank you that your love is so great for us, God, that we can't even fathom it, we can't understand it, but we do have pictures and glimpses, and we do have a wellspring of hope that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that even though the pain and the discomfort and the discouragement and that whatever it may be that's dragging someone in here down, Lord, it's so real and it's so painful. And it's true suffering, God, and not knowing what to do with it. Even though that's real, God, I pray that the hope and the joy and the life abundantly that you have offered, that you came proclaiming, God, I pray that you would help us to see that your promises are not void, that you don't make empty promises, God, that you not come here and declare to do stuff that you weren't powerful enough to do. God, that you truly do have hope. You do have a better hope for every single person in this room and everyone that's even not here today. God, I pray that you would give us a heart for that hope. Help us to believe in you. Help us to trust you. Holy Spirit, give us help. Give us help. Give us faith. We come to you right now. God, I pray that you would do a work right now in the next few minutes that only you can do and that only comes about when we walk in the light, when we confess and believe. Lord, we worship you. We thank you. You're so good. We lift you up in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's the elements for communion up here if you guys want to come and take part and pray together.